Welcome to Quick Hits, the most intermittent podcast in the universe and the only one that gets you smartenized. This is what happens when you call the cops. Say what? This is what happens when you call the cops. Come on. This is what happens when you call the cops. You get your rights violated or you all get shot. This is what happens when you call the cops. This is what happens when you call the cops. For years, some of us have been warning you about how deadly and dangerous the police in America are. For decades, we've been sounding the alarm and it's been largely ignored. Except when people pop up to argue it and say, oh no, it's just a few bad apples there. Oh, really fine, you're just exaggerating. It doesn't happen that often. And now... All over America, cities are on fire. The fires are mostly out now. At least the physical fires are. But suddenly, with the murder of George Floyd, everybody in America sat up and started paying attention to what's really going on with police in America. I don't know why it took this long. It didn't happen with Eric Gardner. It didn't happen with the murder of Kelly Thomas or John Crawford or Flandreau Castile, or Samuel Du Bois, or Ariana Jones, or Daniel Shaver, or Baby Boo Boo, or Freddie Gray, or Akai Gurley, or Tamar Rice, or Katherine Johnson, or Regina Nicholas and Dennis Tuttle, or Breonna Taylor, or Atlanta Jefferson, or Duncan Lamp, or I could go on for 10 minutes straight, just naming names, nothing but names of people who were murdered by the police. But this one finally pushed people over the edge and made them realize what exactly is going on with America's police force. I think what really did it was Officer Derek Chauvin's attitude. He kneeled on George Floyd's neck for nearly nine minutes while the man was on the ground with his hands cuffed behind him, totally controlled. Nope, wasn't good enough for him. He kneeled down on this guy's neck and looked around casually. And I think that's what really did it was his attitude. He had his hands in his pockets. He looked right at people who were filming him. And he was just like, oh, 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 what's for dinner? What should I have for dinner? And he was just casually murdering this guy he didn't care and three other cops just stood around let him do it while this crowd gathered screaming at the cops and uh, watched them murder this man cops kill about a thousand of us every year and hey some of those are justified no question about it somebody pulls a gun on a cop cop fires back perfectly justified. Somebody runs at a cop with a knife. Hey, if you were standing there and somebody was running at you with a knife and you had a gun, what are you going to do? You're going to stop them. You're going to shoot them. Of course, according to the cop supporters, the cop suckers who show up to justify anything the cops do, no matter how brutal, all of those are justified. But how many of them really are? How many of them are unjustified? Let's say... 90% of them are all justified, are all righteous shoots. 
That leaves 100 people that they kill. Let's say it's 95%. That leaves 50 people that they murder. 50 unjustified murders by police. Well, it's just a few bad apples. Well, the people that say that, first of all, they never finish the saying. How does that saying go? About a few bad apples? What does it do for the whole bunch? Now, I've bought apples in bulk before and found a rotten one in the basket and taken it out. And never once did all of the other apples jump on me and hit me with batons and pepper spray me while shouting, Stop resisting! But yeah, I always like to remind them what that whole saying is as they try to take this culture of police murdering people and make it something that's normal or trivial. Their arguments usually boil down to, oh, they don't kill that many people. So all over the country, we've had riots, we've had looting, we've had peaceful protests that turned into riots and looting. By the way, I guess I have to do the standard disclaimer that everybody does. I support the protesters, but not the looters. For some reason, you have to state that obvious, obvious thing whenever you're talking about it. And the police have responded to the protests in a way that seems almost designed to prove that they are just as evil and vile and hateful and violent as everybody is saying they are. Firing rubber bullets at people who were peacefully sitting on their porch watching a small army drive through their neighborhood, ripping off somebody's mask and pepper spraying them, even though he was standing there with his hands up. And that particular cop, it was just revealed, then went on to brag to his buddies about it. He was so proud of himself. Countless instances of cops brutalizing peaceful protesters, turning a peaceful protest into a riot through their own actions. And then, of course, there's all kinds of other bad actors showing up. The people who aren't there to protest, but the people who are there to fight and to loot. So why are cops so quick to murder us? Well, it's all right there in the attitude of the cop that murdered George Floyd. He didn't care. He was not the least bit worried that he would ever be held accountable for it. Brutal killings, captured on video, over and over, hundreds of them, showing cops just gunning people down and then getting away with it. They get away with it approximately always. Getting a conviction is so rare that when it happens, it's a huge news item. Of course, there's plenty of other ways that cops can kill you and destroy you without even shooting you. Brittany Stevens, a young woman driving her car, minding her own business, got smashed into by a cop, an off-duty cop, traveling 94 miles an hour, smashed into the car and killed her one-year-old child. The cop's reaction to that was to give her a summons for child endangerment they claim the kid wasn't strapped in tight enough to survive a 94-mile-an-hour crash. The cop, of course, <laughs> never punished. Nope, it just 
it just doesn't happen here in America. They could also ruin your lives in a number of other ways. Asset forfeiture is one of the best. A woman whose dad was senile and, and living in another state went to set up his affairs so she could take care of him. She cashed out his life savings, which was $89,000. And she was taking it home. She was going to put it in another bank, her bank, and put it in a joint account so that she could manage his affairs because he was in late-stage dementia. Cops stopped her, took the money, just packed it in their pockets. Eh, this is ours now because uh, it must be drug money. Oh, look, we tested it and there's drug residue. Hey, if you have any cash in your wallet right now, absolutely guarantee that every single bill has drug residue on it. Even if you get a brand fresh new bill out of the bank, you put it in your wallet with the other bills, it's got drug residue on it. Cops steal more money through asset forfeiture than all the burglaries in the country combined. And that's just what they steal legally under the color of law. That doesn't count what they just grab and stuff in their own pockets when nobody's looking. So while I was doing notes for this and getting ready to record it, cops in Atlanta shot another man in the back. A man named Rayshard Brooks, who was drunk at a Wendy's. And he grabbed a cop's taser and then ran away and then they shot him in the back. And I was watching this video and I was trying to figure out if this was justified or just another cop murdering one of us. And I had an epiphany. And that is, I don't need to examine any more of these videos. Because I've seen enough of them to know that this is what police are and this is what they do and no further research is necessary. I've watched John Crawford being murdered by cops. I've seen Tamar Rice murdered by a cop. I saw Philandro Castle murdered by a cop. I watched Officer Lisa Merkel tase a 59-year-old man, David Cassick, tase him multiple times until he was face down in the snow. Face down in the snow. And then she fired two bullets into his back. I heard him say, what the fuck, twice, and then watched him die. I watched Daniel Shaver on his knees crying and pleading, please don't kill me, before being murdered in cold blood by an out-of-control officer with your fucked engraved on his gun. These videos are painful and soul-crushing to watch, and I don't want to watch any more of them. By the way, every single one of those that I just mentioned were exonerated by our, quote, justice system. They're all walking around free now. So whether the killing of Brooks was justified or not, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't change the fact that this is what cops are. This is how they act. This is what they do. And this is how the system guarantees they'll never be punished. These are snuff films, folks. Real life snuff films. And it just takes away a little piece of your soul each time you see one. And I'm not going to watch them anymore. Whether they were murdering thugs in that specific situation, in that specific incident, 
immaterial to the discussion. We don't need any more pictures to know what they are and what they do. I didn't always feel this way about cops. Like most Americans, I thought cops were pretty great. I used to come home from school every day and watch the Andy Griffith Show. And then at night, we'd watch Adam-12 and Chips and the FBI with Efren Zimbalist Jr. Just that name, so manly, Efren Zimbalist Jr. And they were all clean cut. And they were all good guys. And they might have a little bit of moral question here or there about something that they did, but they always did the right thing. Always. Miami Vice came along and that was so cool. They were chasing people down with speedboats and boy, did they look good doing it. Yeah, we get a steady stream of just how great cops are. And it's got to affect us. I have come to the point where I tend to avoid cop shows, but I, I still love some of them. I love Justified. Justified was just a great series. And the very name of it came from the question of whether Raylan Jennings' shooting of somebody was justified. Every time he shot somebody, it had to be justified. And I like watching The Rookie just because it has Nathan Fillion in it, and he's always great in anything that he does. But I think the only cop show that was at all accurate was probably The Shield, which got into the violence and brutality and corruption that they used to accomplish whatever goals they feel are justified. Now, whenever you say anything bad about cops, the cop suckers show up and say, well, you just want to be a criminal, or you are a criminal. Yeah, I bet you spent time in jail. Uh, nope, nope, this white boy has never spent any time at all in a cell, never been arrested. Every interaction that I've had with cops has been with uh, traffic tickets, and none of them have gone bad. I haven't gotten shot, obviously. Although we do know a lot of people who were doing something minding their own business and, and got the shit kicked out of them by cops. Don't know anybody that got murdered. But So based on TV shows and my own personal experience, if I wasn't paying attention, I might think cops are great too. Now, I don't like being like this. I really don't like being obsessed with this, and I don't like hating a group of people as much as I hate cops. So I tried being a little introspective. And going back and looking where and how those attitudes changed, at least for me. Back in the late 80s, the early 90s, back before there was an internet, I was uh, on some things like Genie and CompuServe, and they had cop forums. Genie, which was an online service by General Electric, had a very active police forum. It was called Alert for a law enforcement roundtable. They count, called each forum uh, roundtables. And I went in there and had some pleasant conversations with cops. I asked them, uh, what TV shows do you like? Which ones do you think are accurate? Which ones drive you nuts? And I still remember their answers. They thought Barney Miller was wonderful and uh, pretty accurate. And T.J. Hooker was probably the worst. I also learned that, back then at least, 
It was a matter of pride for a cop to go through his entire 20 years without drawing a weapon. Because when you draw your gun, I was told, that means you've lost control of the situation. So you haven't done your job correctly. You should always attempt to control the situation so that you don't have to draw your gun. Well, that was back in the 90s. And of course, that's what they were telling us, us little people, us civilians. What they were actually doing back then, well, they were doing the same shit that they're doing right now, but we didn't have video cameras to watch it. The first turning point for me came when I read a story about a police officer, an undercover police officer, approaching a random black man in Central Park in New York City and asking if he could buy some drugs. And the black guy, who was just a regular guy, he wasn't a drug dealer or anything, was upset that someone would try to buy drugs from him. What do you think I am? Why do you think I'm a drug dealer? And it escalated, and uh, the cops gunned him down. And, of course, they got off on it. Wait a minute, man, something's really wrong here. And then the Amadou Diallo shooting happened. Amadou was an immigrant, a law-abiding immigrant. Didn't have anything on his rap sheet, didn't have a rap sheet. And he was standing in his doorway, minding his own business, when four cops rolled up, jumped out of their car, and started screaming at him. He reached into his pocket for his wallet. He's going to show him his wallet. He had nothing to be afraid of, right? And they gunned him down in the doorway there. 44 shots. I think something like 20 or so hit him. Some went through the bottom of his foot. They just kept shooting even after he was down. The public was in a rotten mood because of it. And so they changed the venue and the venue was changed to downtown Albany. And I was working in Albany at the time. I was doing consulting for a bank, for a key bank down there, who had Three different buildings in downtown Albany, and we were doing IT servicing for them. And so I could go out for lunch to the park. It was only a block or so away where people were protesting. And around lunchtime, whenever there was a break, there would be a little press conference, and the prosecution would come out and would make some noise, and the then the defense would say something. And then Al Sharpton stepped up. Now, I can't begin to tell you how much I despise this race-baiting son of a bitch. He has done more to damage relationships between black people and white people than any Klansman ever could. But I got to tell you, I admired his showmanship. He was really good. He'd get up on stage. He would... Not introduce himself, everybody knew who he was. And he would just get up and he would start talking and he would make whatever point he wanted to make and then he would make a little joke. And if he got a big enough laugh to that joke, he would immediately leave. No thank you, no see ya, no wave, just boom, off the stage. If he didn't get a big enough laugh, he would say something else and get his bigger laugh and leave. He was up there most afternoons for about five minutes. That was it. It was all he needed. Sometimes even less. But man, he's a master showman. And an evil, vile person. 
So, I'm following this trial. And this trial seemed to be well done. I wasn't as aware of Justice Theater as I am now. And to all outward appearances, it appeared that they were doing a good job of trying to make it a fair trial. And then, every one of these cops got acquitted. Not guilty. They gunned down a man in cold blood. They didn't even pay a fine. And I was shocked, because I hadn't been following these stories. They don't shock me now, but I was shocked. How could this be? How could they get away with murder? Of course, now I know that that's the way the system is designed and that they get away with murder approximately always. And if they do get convicted, that's the system failing. It doesn't happen very often. And so then I started paying attention to the news and to stories and to what was going on and gradually realized just exactly what the cops were. They're not there to serve and protect. They never were. They are brutal. They are violent. And their sole job is to occasionally protect property, but to always protect the state. Always. There is no loss too trivial for the cops to kill you over it. In fact, you don't even have to break the law for them to kill you. Because they don't worry. They don't have to. Nothing happens. And now, finally, America is realizing that. And although the fires are out now, they're still smoking. And they're going to be smoking for a long time. One thing that's going to come out of this is uh, gun control is pretty well dead. There are now two million more people owning guns, first-time gun owners, than there were at the start of this. The police have proven that they simply can't and won't try to protect your property if there's a riot going on. So people are buying guns to defend themselves, and some of them are doing it successfully. And that, of course, is the way that it should be. But gun control, I mean, they're still clamoring for it. But uh, I think this has, uh, and they never will stop. I mean, they're nannies. They Nannies never stop. But there's fewer of them now, and a lot more pushback than they're used to. Some state governments, and indeed the federal government, are trying to pretend that they're going to deal with this problem. They're doing this real hastily act legislation. Oh, this will fix it. This will fix it. But it doesn't address anything. It really doesn't. Oh, well, it's going to give you extra training, and it's going to give you extra funding. No, it's not a matter of training and funding. It's a whole lot of other things. None of these reforms remove qualified immunity. None of these reforms outlawed no-knock raids. None of them had any reduction in the war on some drugs, which is the core basic thing of, with all of these problems. There was no removal of acid forfeiture. There was nothing that's going to change anything. Again, it's just our bosses patting us on the head saying, there, there, we're going to fix it for you. Okay, now run along. Before all this happened, 
I bet you there were less than 5% of the population that understood what qualified immunity was. Now, everybody's talking about it. Some folks are still a little confused about it. They think that it has to do with criminal charges, and it doesn't. It has to do with civil charges. So the criminal side of misbehaving cops is all controlled by Justice Theater, and there's an older podcast here that goes into a little more detail on that. But it's basically a series of steps that are designed to make us think something's being done, but all along the way, there are opportunities for cops to be exonerated. And that system almost never fails to get a cop back on the streets. But then comes the inevitable civil suit. The victim survivors will always sue and usually get substantial rewards, sometimes in the two and three million dollar range. Now, considering it was the cop that committed the murder, you would think that they would be liable, but no, qualified immunity says that in the civil suit, they're not at all responsible for their actions. So what happens is the victim's family gets $2 million or $3 million or $150,000, whatever it is, but the cop gets to keep his house, his car, his boats, his motorcycles, uh, and most importantly, his beloved pension, and just go about his life. It doesn't affect him, but those huge settlements have to be paid, and they're paid by the taxpayers. So not only are the taxpayers paying this thug cop who murdered somebody, they're also paying all of his legal fees and all of these civil cases and the huge payouts and in some small towns i mean it it's raised property taxes you know 500 bucks a family that's why that cop was just had a little smirk on his face while he was murdering flight he had nothing to worry about although i know that it's not possible and it's not ever going to happen i wish that we could take race out of this conversation entirely because it's a side issue, really. It's a, it's a sidetrack. And the idea is that it's a big racial thing because cops murder more black people and also justifiably shoot more black people than they do white people taken as a percentage of the population. Now, let's just look at the numbers for a second. Blacks make up 13% of the population. And I thought this was a correct number. Uh, 40% of the people shot by police. But, says the cop sucker, blacks commit 50% of the crimes. So you have to take that into account. Well, it turns out that the 40% number is actually wrong. It's really about 25%. And the other 50% are Hispanics, which have gotten lumped in with them. And it just makes the whole thing confusing. If you take race out of the picture, you'll see that cops just murder a lot of us, shoot a lot of us, murder a lot of us, and also ruin our lives through other ways, acid forfeitures and all kinds of stuff, planting drugs, all that type of thing. And we take race out of it, we can just look at how horrible and rotten the police are. But when we confuse it with race, that gives a lot more cop suckers excuses for coming in. Now, one of the things that they also like to do is point out that their victims are bad. 
George Floyd was a bad guy. He really was. He was a piece of crap. Candace Owens, who has made a living by pandering to conservatives, a black woman who panders to conservatives, spent 15 minutes detailing all the horrible things that George Floyd had done. And if even half of them were true, he was a rotten human being. But he was a human being. And you don't need a quarter of an hour to explain just how rotten he was. She claimed that the point she was making was that black people need to pick their heroes better. And they shouldn't call this guy a hero or a martyr. And I actually agree with that. Yes, they shouldn't. He was a rotten guy. But it doesn't justify that murder at all or any murder by cops. It's a sidetrack. It's a side issue. And it takes us away from concentrating on what the real issue is and what the real problem is. The far left is out there ripping down statues and monuments. Hoo-hoo! Great fun. They love doing that. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, not just people that were promoting slavery. You know, there's a difference between somebody who promoted, actively promoted slavery and made their money off of slavery and the people who had slaves. It's entirely different people. George Washington wasn't known for having slaves or bringing slaves in, nor was Jefferson. But they had slaves, so they were horrible people, and we must rip their statues down. This is, of course, just an extension of tearing down Confederate monuments. I have a solution for all this, and that is, now I can't do this until I become president, okay? But when I do... We've got a solution for all these monuments, at least the ones that survive. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to have the head of every statue removed, pulled off, and replaced with my head. Doesn't matter if it's a guy standing up, a guy on a horse, a guy in an action pose. I'm going to put my head on it. And just for fun, it's going to be a bobblehead. A comically oversized bobblehead. Two or three times the size that a normal head would be. And it's going to be carefully balanced so it will bobble in the slightest breeze. Now if it becomes unbalanced because of, I don't know, say pigeon shit. That will be attended to by a new federal agency, the Bobblehead Patrol. And whenever a bobblehead of mine is less than perfect, they're going to fly in on a private jet take a stretch limo to the site, and carefully clean the head and restore its balance. So now when riots happen, and they're going to happen a lot if I'm president, then the rioters don't have to tear down the entire statue. They can just rip off the head. And then uh, when things come down, the bobblehead patrol will come and replace those heads. One of the more interesting things that's happened with all the fighting and the riots is Chaz. A bunch of clowns have taken over a six-block area in Washington State. And they've declared it a free zone. And it's going to be all peace, love, and free everything. And that's not working out too well. We really don't know what's going on in there. I've, I've seen tweets and reports and the mass media 
is the mainstream media is talking about all these horrible things that are happening and black people are walking up to white people and say give me ten dollars and they do uh people are getting stuff stolen uh, other people say oh it's like peaceful it's like a uh, a crafts fair or a renaissance fair just people kind of walking around hanging out and we're gonna have to just wait until it kind of settles out to get an idea of what's really going on in there now if they had actually bought that property or rented that property and decided they wanted to set up their own little commune or whatever it's a great more power to them but no they didn't they just stole the property uh which i i guess kind of puts them uh gives them the same moral stance as the government itself but we'll see what happens first of all they got to come up with a better name Chaz is about the whitest name that they could pick uh it should be something like pretoria or uh soyland or dumbfuckistan and the worst possible thing that the federal government could do is go marching in there because if they do there's going to be a lot of blood and fire literally not figuratively there'll be a lot of blood and fire and then all of the people there will become heroes and martyrs and people will be talking about them for the next hundred years whereas if you just cut off the electricity and the water and the internet and just waited they're all going to slither out of there in a day or two as long as you didn't let them bring in food. So we got to wait to see what's going to happen with that. That's going to be interesting. Atlanta police are upset that they are not allowed to shoot people in the back while they're running away. And so they're walking off the job. And New York City police have said they do the same thing. And likewise, uh, when cops shoved down an old man and smashed his head on the pavement and blood was coming out of his ear, those cops got fired and something like 57 of their fellow cops said, well, we're resigning from this department. Now, they didn't have the balls to actually quit the job, but they resigned from that particular task force in protest of not being able to smash people's heads into the pavement. So these cops are doing the walk-off and their attitude is we're going to leave and then you'll see that all the rioters and crooks and rapists and murderers that we protect you from will go nuts and that will prove how useful we are <laughs> imagine that kind of attitude i mean it's really just uh you need us and we're going to let some of you be killed and mutilated by strangers to prove to you how much you need us. It's kind of like the uh, uh, abusive spouse kind of thing. Speaking of which, 40% of police officers smack their wives around. 40% domestic abuse rate amongst police officers as compared to 10% in the general population. What does that tell you about the quality of person who becomes a police officer I think this is actually going to work out really well because it's going to backfire when police did a blue flu thing in New York City and I don't even remember what that was for I think it was uh, when they were told they couldn't do stop and frisk just randomly harassing people and stealing shit from them on the streets uh, they I don't know if that was the actual event or not but they staged this blue flu and uh, 
as a result, people are like, oh, I'm not getting bullshit tickets for everything. And uh, life was pretty good. And they came rushing back because people were starting to figure out that they didn't need the cops. I've always said and preached from the hilltops, never call the police. Never call the police. Especially when you see stories of the cops would be called by someone who wanted to help somebody. And so they say, oh, gee, uh, uh, there's a problem over here. Let's have the police go look at that and see what it is. And the cops show up and they kill somebody. And that happens time and time again, especially with anybody that's got a little mental issue because cops have no idea how to handle that. They just kill them. It's just easier. It's the only thing that they know how to do. So I've always said never call the police. But there are actually three different instances where you should call the police. The first one is when you legally have to, if you have a car accident or um, if you need a police report for a burglary or something that uh, requires a form for the insurance. You got no choice. You've got to call the police there. The other instance is uh, if you come home and you find somebody has uh, robbed your house or damaged your home and you need somebody to show up in another uh, hour or two and shoot your dog. Cops shoot 15 dogs a day and they are never punished for it. 15 to 25 as far as uh, anybody can figure. And the third instance where you should call the cop is if you're in a situation that would be improved by bringing in an angry, violent, heavily armed, poorly trained, completely unaccountable, trigger-happy gang of thugs, if that would improve the situation, then by all means call the cops. But other than that, don't call the cops, folks. Because it can cost you your life. It can cost the life of family members, neighbors, friends, and especially dogs. Because, boy, they love shooting dogs. So now we're seeing lots of people talking about defunding the police. And like most political things, it doesn't mean what they say in most cases. They're not actually saying we're going to defund them. We're going to take some of the money away from them and we're going to give it to some of the people that they victimize. And we're going to put in these various government programs with it, which because they're government programs are going to just not work. But what would happen if you actually got rid of the police? You just totally said, we are not going to have police. What's going to happen? Something along that line, not exactly along that line, was done in Camden, New Jersey, which was very violent and had a police force that was even more horrible than most police forces. And basically, they defunded the police almost entirely and instead relied on cops coming in from the outside when they were really needed. And they ended up knocking crime down uh, quite a bit. One of the problems, especially amongst those of us who were raised in public schools, where we were constantly trained, constantly, that the police are your friends. And always call Officer Friendly. They'll always take care of you. Is we've come to believe that police are the only people that can provide security. But it doesn't take much research. It doesn't take much digging 
to discover there are four times as many private security guards in America than there are police. When was the last time that you heard of a private security guard beating someone to death? Or shooting someone while they were running away? Or shooting a dog? Have you ever heard of any of those stories? Because a private security guard is liable personally for everything they do, unlike the cops. And that one difference is all the difference in the world. When you are trying to explain to somebody how we can do without a particular service that the government is providing, most people are just not capable of doing that. They just don't have the imagination. I've tried this with public schooling and said, well, you know, what would happen? Let's just have a conversation here, just hypothetically. If there were no public schools, if suddenly all the public schools closed and you had kids that needed to be educated or, you know, the neighbors have kids that you don't want to see grow up to be idiots, how would you handle that? And I was looking for a little imagination. Well, maybe we would have a neighborhood school where somebody would teach things in the neighborhood. Maybe we could do more homeschooling or unschooling. Maybe we could have someone with a particular skill or talent offer apprenticeships. There's all different kinds of ways that you could educate people. And I was hoping somebody would come up with something that I hadn't heard of before. But every time that I've tried doing that, the response has always been, you hate education, you hate children. How can you even think about doing that? And it's even worse when you talk about defunding the police. And the state is here, you're saying that we don't need this thing. No, no, not at all. We need education. We need education very much. And we know that the government does a really crappy job of it. So how can we do it without the government? We need security. We need at least a little policing. How do we deal with that since we now know that the government does such a rotten job of it. Oh, and, and, and by the way, this is nothing new. I mean, the only thing new about it is that we have video cameras of it, and the cops don't care. Again, you know, the George Floyd's murderer just kind of looking around, man, I'm killing this guy. You know, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. I got a blue uniform. You, can, you can't knock me off. I'm just going to sit here kneeling on his neck for nine minutes. And if you go back... And you look at the history of police, this kind of crap has been going on forever. The first police, we, we got by just fine without police uh, for uh, quite a while after the country was formed. And the first police were the runaway slave patrols. And that was their job. They'd show up someplace in the north and say, that man fits the description and ship him off back down to... Be a slave, even if they were a free person up there. And the cops have not gotten any better since then. So what can we do without the police? How do we handle it? Well, since we need security, we would hire security. Now, a community that's spending $5 million, let's say, on police, and police are usually the second most expensive part of any local government, education being the first. They could take that money, and maybe half of that money, and hire private 
security patrols. People that are better trained, not paid as much, people who can be fired if they screw up, and entire companies, security companies, that would lose their contract if they messed things up and made life worse for people instead of making them better. Now a lot of things would happen with this. Now your security people are working for the people directly. They're not working for the government, even though they may be hired by the government. They're, they're still a private agency that has to keep people happy, something that no cop has to do. They're not going to be busting down a door at 4 a.m. and shooting the dog and anything else that moves. They're not going to be standing on the corner handing out bullshit tickets because you did a rolling stop, uh, you know, in the middle of a country road at 2 a.m. They're not going to be doing any of that. They're not going to be shutting down lemonade stands and enforcing all these stupid little petty laws. And they're going to do it for less money and with more responsibility. Now, you don't think that'll work? Well, here, let me suggest something. Why don't we try it? We know what we have now sucks. Why don't we try it? Let's try it for a couple of years and see what happens. And if we don't find that it's substantially better than what we have now, we can always go back to putting brutal, violent, murderous, unaccountable thugs back in place. But let's try it the other way first. And I think you're actually going to see that happen. I think you're going to see it more in smaller communities, but you are going to see more of it happen. And I think that's going to be a very good thing. Now, for those of you who have gone through this whole thing and still say, well, I know a cop. He's a good cop. He's a good guy. Really? Ask him if he's ever helped put someone in prison for possession of a plant. Just ask him that one question and see if they really are a good guy or not. And that's it for this episode of the Quick Hits Podcast. If you've learned a little something, if you've changed your mind, or even if you can just understand a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, congratulations, you've been smartened. Now, the piece that I opened the show with, and I think that's the first time I've ever opened the show with anything other than uh, my standard 60s style song, the, which is a song called My Wonderful Shadow that I was given permission to use a decade ago and have used ever since. Uh, the one that I used at the beginning, uh, the rap song, This Is What Happens When You Call the Cops, was done by uh, Rob Hustle, and you can go see that on YouTube. But if you do, uh, let me warn you, it is brutal. It's brutal because it is full of clips of cops beating, abusing, punching pregnant women, shooting dogs, shooting people, gunning down folks. And it's just, they're all five second clips of police brutality and murder. And it's tough to watch. I watched it and I've seen every one of those clips. I knew what they were. That's how obsessed I am with all of this. I'm hoping maybe I don't need to be as obsessed with it. Maybe more people now are finally paying attention, finally realizing what cops really are and what they do. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. To those of you contributing to this show on Patreon, thank you very much. I promise 
to only use the money to buy cigars. You can stop by Punchy Products on Etsy and see some of the snarky stuff that I've got for sale there. And, oh, also, send me a note. Uh, Dave at DaveHit.com. I like hearing from people. The nature of this particular technology makes it impossible to know really how many people are listening. It's hard even to count the number of downloads because downloads are generally done in bits and pieces. So it looks like you got more than you actually did. But even downloads, I know I download uh, stuff from very prolific podcasters that I listen to and I only listen to maybe 20% of it. So let me know you're listening. Dave at DaveHit.com and put something in the title that lets me know that it's not spam. So folks, there's nothing more for me to say except to remind you that the Quick Hits Podcast is a little more than a journal of one man's opinion and should not be taken too seriously. Seriously.